Storytelling is one of the most fundamental ways that humans connect with each other. This is how we build faith, we build belief, and we're able to cooperate. And it's through stories and how we learn about the world. So it's the most natural way to connect to other people. And we've heard very famous people say something like, if you want to know me, you must know my story. Or Simon Sinek saying things like, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And the why is the story. everybody welcome to today's topic here on twitter spaces we're talking about storytelling why it matters and in a little bit i'm gonna have my friend Anna Lee hansen uh introduce herself but in case you're new and you don't know who i am my name is chris doe i'm a loud introvert in a former life i was a graphic designer i made commercials and music videos for a living now i'm trying to be a better teacher and with that comes my desire to be a better storyteller I've set the intention for 2022 to be the year that I improve my storytelling skills. I'm not saying that in the way that I think I suck at it, but I think there are levels to this game and I'm ready to get to the next level. I've been doing some deep dives, looking at my own storytelling abilities and studying that of other master storytellers, and I hope to be sharing what I'm learning as I learn it with you in real time. And that's the kind of context I have for today's conversation. And many of you out there, um, as a creative entrepreneur, as an artist, as a designer, or whatever field that you're in, if you can practice the art of storytelling, which is really basically communication, you can have stronger relationships in your personal and your business life. And without further ado, Annalie Hansen, please introduce yourself and set the context for today's conversation. Hi, everyone. I'm Annalie Hansen, and I'm a brand strategist. I live in Sweden. And uh, I spent over two decades working in branding and marketing. I had my own agency and I also work on the client side as a chief brand officer and a chief marketing officer. And what I do now, this last year, actually, I turned my focus and now I teach brand strategy to creatives. So I want to set the stage for today and... I actually want to do that by telling a short story. Two and a half years ago, I joined the Future Pro group, which is Chris's uh, coaching group. And we have those calls on Zoom. And I was in every call. But the thing was, I didn't say anything. I mean, I didn't say anything in three months. I was a wallflower. And I know that sounds weird and I know you probably wonder why, but the thing was that I didn't want to speak English in front of people. I was so terrified doing that. And I remember that I really tried to avoid eye contact with Chris in the calls because I didn't want him to call on me. I had so much anxiety. But I really, you know, I really, really wanted to be there. But every time someone wanted to talk to me, I had to use Google Translate. And that stress and that anxiety was really difficult to handle. So it's actually took me about eight months before I even started to open up and talk to people. And I think when I look back, it was actually about not 
you know, I didn't want to look stupid in front of people. I wanted to show people that I was a professional and I knew what I was talking about. So to create content coming to this topic for today, creating content for social media in English was not even an option for me. But one day, Chris actually gave us a prompt to post a personal story on LinkedIn. I think it was on LinkedIn. And I remember this anxiety around this post and I wrote it in Swedish and I translated it. So it was a lot of resistance, a lot of fears, but I finally, I did it and I posted. And this is just a year ago. And I had around, I remember on Instagram, I think I had around 700 followers. So it's been a journey this year to really putting myself out there because I was actually used to working with clients, you know, helping my clients to look good. And now out of a sudden, I was a brand myself. And it's really been ups and downs. And, you know, Chris have challenged me a lot this year. And I'm, I'm very grateful for that. But I think my biggest lesson is I'm still struggling like every day. But my, my lesson from this year anyway is like no one is perfect. And no one even wants perfection. And everyone have their own struggles. I think all of you have. But we just kind of need to face that perfection and imposter monster and just start doing it. And that is what I have been doing. And I'm on this journey now. And I just feel it's time for me to level up. And I really want to be a better storyteller. So that's why we're here. So I want to talk about like why storytelling important in social media and what makes a really good story and how can we craft that. And I know Chris is really good at it. So that's why we're here. Okay, so to answer the broader question, in case you're yet not convinced that storytelling is a key to communication, forget about growing on social media, but it's a key to communication. If you think back to your earliest childhood memories, what is it that you did with your parent? You know, most often, if you have loving parents who spent time with you, it was probably uh, curled up in bed nighttime and with a really great book. And maybe the book started out mostly with pictures. Uh, picture books are great uh, because it doesn't require much of a language skills to understand. And then the, those books eventually evolved to more words and less images. And perhaps you're like Kendra Hall, who shares this story in her book, Stories That Stick. And she's this is her career. She's a professional speaker, storyteller, and she trains other people to tell their stories. She said that her son, every single night, would say, Mama, Mama, read me that book. And she would read that book night after night. And children, for whatever reason, are okay with hearing the same story over and over. But maybe as the parent, as the storyteller or the person reading the book, it becomes rather monotonous just reading the same book over and over again. And so she tried as she might to get her son to pick a different book. And he wouldn't agree. And then one night she tried something different. And she said, do you want to hear a story about how, how mama was a young girl and living on a farm? And he goes, yes. And so she began to tell the story. And what we realize is that storytelling is one of the most fundamental ways that humans connect with each other. Uh, this is how we build faith. We build belief and we're able to cooperate. And, and it's through stories and how we learn about the world. So it's the most natural way to connect to other people. Uh, and we've heard very famous people say something like, if you want to know me, you must know my story or Simon Sinek saying things like, people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it. And the why is the story. Uh, if you read things from Marty Neumeyer, he'll talk about this, that people no longer buy products. They join tribes. 
what does it say about me when I buy this product or service? And we're searching for identity. And so when companies, and you can look at yourself as a company of one, when you fail to tell that story, you become undifferentiated in the marketplace. You just compete on services, the quality of work, quote unquote. But you'll, you'll soon realize something. If you're a designer, if you're a web developer, if you're a content creator of any kind, why is it that some people are drawn more towards someone else who you might say arguably or objectively speaking, their quality of work isn't as good as someone else's? We all know someone who is an immense talent. They're, they're great at their craft, but their business is not reflective of the quality of their work. And then you dig in a little deeper and you try to find more about them on social media and you look for interviews or articles or, or any kind of posts and you can't find anything. And then we have to step back and say, well, why, why is that? So success, in, in my opinion, is not just the quality of the work that you do, but the story that travels with that. My business coach many years ago, he told me, you need to learn to tell stories that are repeatable. A repeatable story doesn't require instructions and is easily shared with other people. So there's a couple of things that you need to do. But before I tell you that, I'm going to take a pause because I really want uh, to engage with Annalie and, and have dialogue with her. So Annalie, uh, where do you want to steer this conversation? You know, I think before we go into the how, how to do it, I think it's kind of interesting to hear a little bit about how we both get started as well, because I think there's something to share about that. And I think people can be interested also to hear, you know, to hear your your experience of it and maybe even a few things that I learned. And then we can go in more like practical to how to really, how to do it, because I have a lot of questions, things I struggle with, and I don't think I'm alone. I think more people than me actually struggle with telling these stories. But I really wanted to ask you first, Chris, like when you started out, because you and I have been following each other for a while doing this, like telling stories on social media. What did you feel was your like mental roadblocks when you started to share stories? Can you tell a little bit about that, that background so people get a, get a sense of, because, you know, we all struggle, right? Yes. Um, I think for me, there's uh, several things I'm, I'm trying to grapple with and some things I've done better at and some things I'm still working through. It's all a work in progress, as they say. Uh, one of my things is growing up is being a very shy and introverted person. My general modus operandi was just to be quiet, to be invisible, because by drawing attention to myself, uh, I felt very nervous and I could feel myself getting sweaty underneath my armpits, under my forehead. I'm, I'm going to break out in a sweat. So every time the teacher would call on my name in class, I would just sit up straight and be stiff. I'm like, uh oh, okay. Think, think, say something so that people don't laugh at you and so that they can quickly move on. And I remember from the earliest time when we were doing reading together in school, I could see like, okay, in four people, it's going to be me and then three and my heart was elevating. I was having that shortness of breath. So my my natural default state is not to want to talk or to, to have anyone even hear or see me. That was my default. And so I'm combating that. And then I'm a professional, I run a company. And I think now that I'm a professional, it should just be about the work. Like I can talk about the work and I want it just to be about the work and not about me. Uh, because like who, who wants to hear from me anyways, right? And in the early days of social media, when we were sharing things, we would just show our projects 
and we will talk about client challenges, solutions, insights, and things like that, but no story and no personality. And those posts perform as you would expect. They did okay. And it wasn't until uh, I actually started this other company called The Future that I felt free to write as myself, mostly because it was a company of one. I didn't even use we because there was no we. It was just me. And for some reason, I felt really liberated just to write as myself. And many of you go through this. You have a company and then there's your POV. And I'm going to tell you what I went through on a psychological level. And maybe some of it will resonate with you. And you're like, yeah, and that was me too. When you write as yourself, you think, okay, I'm not worried about uh, sharing my point of view. Because what's the point of writing from my point of view if I can't say something? Whereas when you write as a business, you're afraid to alienate your clients or you're afraid to take a stance on something because we know as soon as you have a position, you're for something. That means by default, you're against everything that's not this thing. That's the consequence of having an opinion. And if you run a business, you think, well, I'm not the singular voice of this company. There are others. So who am I to write in my voice when it doesn't represent everyone's voice? It's a diverse company. There, there's men and women. There's young people and there's older people. So how do we write like that? So what happens is you start to kind of build a weird composite of everyone's feelings. And it winds up not sounding like much. It's like milk toast. It's really boring. It's middle of the road. And you fall into this, this zone where uh, I think Eric calls it the zone of indifference. Eric admits, you know, it's like people just don't care. And the reaction is, so what? So I work through this problem and I start writing as myself and sharing my points of view. And I have lots of opinions. And to my surprise, people connect with that. I'm like, okay, I'm encouraged by this. Yeah, not everyone likes it, of course. And you keep writing, you keep writing. And then I I realize, I, I thought I was a designer all my life, but maybe I'm a designer who also enjoys writing to a degree. And I start doing that. But I'm also looking at this from a very pragmatic point of view. Like who really wants to hear my personal story, like how I grew up, what it was like to be a middle child, etc. And I generally didn't talk about that unless someone asked me. And so I needed permission, I guess, from someone to say, I'm interested in hearing more about that. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, I try my best to practice radical transparency. It's not that I'm hiding anything. I just thought, People are not interested until they're interested. And when they are, I share those stories. Over to you, Annalie. Yeah, we were really interested. And I remember, I think it was your story on winning your Emmy on LinkedIn. I think that was like one of the first time I saw you share. I think on LinkedIn as well. I mean, you shared on on YouTube before, but the response was amazing. It was so amazing to read about, you know, all your feelings and how you felt in the situation because I could totally relate to you. And I remember like saying to you that, of course, people want to hear about you because you have a big audience. You have a lot of followers. You know, we want to hear that story because we know that story triggers feelings, you know, and we want to have that emotional connection. And that's how we connect with people. But When it comes to me, I mean, I was like, but I'm not famous. I don't have any followers. So who wants to hear my stories? I think that was 
you know, I, it's easy to see it in someone else. And I can, I love to see people's stories, but then when you come to yourself, it's a totally different situation. So I know rational as a brand strategist that you need to separate yourself from others. Of course, that's how you build your brand. And then when it comes to yourself, like who would care? Why would I tell stories about myself? So I just started to tell very general stories that everyone else did. Okay, there's a couple of things. I think with the exception of celebrities, like actual bona fide celebrities who are professional models or actors, I, I don't think we ever really see ourselves as a celebrity. I remember one time a couple of years ago, someone says, Chris, you're a design celebrity. And that label felt really uncomfortable for me because that's not one I would use to describe myself. And sometimes we do get stuck in looking at ourselves from our own POV and not taking a step back and saying, well, how do people see me? When we talk about brand and branding, it's really about the impressions that you create on people. And I do believe this and somebody might get upset at me, but um, you are not what you say you are. You are the collective response and impressions that you've built up over a number of people. And so you could say, I'm kind, I'm generous, I'm giving. But if the impression from the vast majority of people who know you from, from close up and far away don't think that, you might have to resolve that misalignment. And so you might come to know me, Annalie. And so here's the relationship that we have with lots of people, right? Once you start creating content, people don't know about everything that's come up before. They only know you when you've hit a certain critical mass or you're on their radar. And so now they know of you as a certain type of person. Of course, they haven't followed you along your entire journey. So one mistake that we all make, speaking for myself, is that we don't want to, quote unquote, bore people with rehashing old history. It's ancient at this point. But I've noticed people, uh, I know on the site Gary Vaynerchuk here, uh, for many years, I would watch his keynotes. And the first thing he does when he gets on stage is like, uh, just by a show of hands, how many people know me? have heard of me, have seen something about me. Okay, okay, I got some work to do. And he was like, well, uh, I, I grew up in, uh, in a communist country, Belarus, and my parents emigrated to the United States. And he tells his story. He does this over and over and over again. So as an audience member, I listen to this and I'm following him at this point and I'm watching these videos. I'm like, Gary, I get it. You're from Belarus. You're, you're an immigrant and your, your dad started a wine business and you got involved in this. Can we move on to another story? And what I was doing was I was judging him for doing what you're supposed to be doing, which is to get people caught up to speed about who you are and to tell a little bit of your origin story so that everything that you say afterwards has context. And what we don't realize, and I've learned this now many years into doing public speaking is people are cold. They're not not cold and like they're cold to you and your story. And so you might want to start by sharing lessons, but they're still sitting here thinking, should I listen to you? Who are you? And why should I care? So it's important that you do tell this story. But unfortunately for me, I'm listening to this thinking, oh, this is like too repetitive. So what do I do? I don't tell my origin story more than one time. Because I think, well, if you wanted to know it, you would find it, right? And so that's the general impression that people have. The, the story that Annalie is sharing, I want to share an insight with all of you, is I'm going through a folder and my folders have tons and tons of images, probably 100,000 plus images in them from the many years of documenting 
my personal life, my professional life, right? And we're going through this photo and it's me holding um, an Emmy. And I'm even the way I hold it, it's a little awkward. And a lot of times what we do is we try to tell the story of our success because it paints a positive picture of us. We're like, oh, just throw back, you know, uh, um, what is that called? Humble brag, hashtag. And you talk about the victory. (laughs) You talk about that. And that's compelling to some people. But if you want to take it to the next level in your storytelling, you follow uh, one of the 22 rules of storytelling from Pixar, the, the world's most successful film company ever, right? Creating multi-billion dollar hits, hit after hit. So rule number one from Pixar's 22 rules of storytelling written by Emma Coates is uh, the audience admires characters for trying more than for their successes. We admire people and characters, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, for trying. It's the struggle that we connect with. The victory is nice, but if you want to two, three, four X the amount of engagement that you get on social media, talk about the struggle. This is really important that you just tried real hard. So I'm looking at this picture. I'm like, what can I do? What can I say about this moment? And there's a lot behind this. So what I do is I start to write the story about what it's really like for an introverted immigrant who's not really used to public speaking, what it's like to even win an award. Probably the highest achievement, professional achievement in my life. And then I tell the story about what it was like. Like for for days and, and weeks leading into the ceremony, I was really scared. I was losing sleep. And you might be thinking to yourself, why would you be scared? The reason is they gave you a 30-second window to give a speech, an acceptance speech. And they send all these notes to you, guidance, like 30 seconds, keep it short and pithy. Uh, don't do something that everyone else does because you won't make the edit. Well, the amount of pressure I was feeling. And, and you know, to add to this story, I remember talking to my business coach, because if you win the award, you're allowed to bring one person with you. And I was thinking, oh man, and I'm talking to Kier. I'm like, Kier, who should I bring with me to this event? Uh, I'm thinking of bringing my executive producer. And he pulls back in his chair like, uh, Chris, how often do you win an award like this? You bring your wife. I'm like, oh, right. Thanks for that quick check-in. He's like, you know, she's probably like got a, a dress she wants to put on and doesn't have an occasion for this is that occasion. Celebrate this moment and just write from your heart. Figure it out. So every night I would work on a draft of this acceptance speech. It's only 30 seconds. You think to yourself, right? 30 seconds. How bad can it be? And if you've ever done public speaking, the shorter the length of your story, like in an acceptance speech, the more it matters. And I go through every iteration. Of this. I want to thank mom. You know, this is for all the uh, refugees from Vietnam. You know, just you go through all these drafts. And every night I change it in my mind and I write a new draft in the morning. So you can imagine the amount of anxiety I had going into this ceremony. And so I write about this. And I write about the time I'm sitting in this cold, dark, uh, I think it was the Kodak Theater at that time. I'm sitting there like just worrying like, when are they going to call me? And it takes me right back to like fourth grade when, when is the teacher going to call me? Cause I'm just dying. It's like you, my knees are knocking together. I'm shaking. Like, I think I have to go to the bathroom, but I know I don't have to pee. 
And all these things are going on in my mind. And I write about that. And that post, I think, to, to this date has become my still my highest performing post on LinkedIn. It's one image, but there's a story behind that moment. Back over to you, Annalie. I love that post and it was super vulnerable. And I just wonder, like, do you think the response was like that because people were kind of surprised that you shared that kind of story? I think if we're just looking at it from an analytical point of view, there is the struggle and it's the story behind the story, which is you can obviously see that I won an award. So if I say, oh, I remember that time I won an award, you haven't told me anything new. And I think people also have a certain perception of people who have won awards or uh, appear to be well-known that they don't struggle with their lives, that everything just falls in place for them. So when you share something like that, it allows people to relate to you. We don't like perfect characters. We don't like people who don't have character flaws, right? And we can see this in celebrities who seem to have perfect lives. Like, is Martha Stewart always put together? Does she love gardening and baking and crafts as much as she says she does? And there's this air of fakeness about it, right? And she could very well be truly, authentically genuine in loving all these things. And we just think, hmm, maybe we're cynical. So when you start to show people the more human, the fallible sides, uh, the sides that aren't uh, so admirable, I think people say, okay, they're just being real with me and we connect with those things. At least that's my theory. Yeah, I I really agree. And But the thing is that I felt, you know, you with the more followers and a more public person could do that. I had this anxiety around like, if people don't even know who I am and they don't believe in me yet, what if I start opening up and share stories that are really vulnerable and show sides of me that is not so charming and perfect? Like, what would people say? So my struggle was really, I think it was difficult just to get out there and be visible. And then you challenged me and said, like, you're not the same person in private as you are in your posts. And I was like, I know. I know that was true. It was just extremely, extremely difficult to to open up and be so vulnerable and, you know, share things that was difficult to share. But I, I did it once and I got a good response from it, but I can feel that I kind of falling back. It's, it's like, it's not that you learn and then you know how to do it. You know, it's, it's that constant like anxiety of being afraid of not looking good in front of people. I can, I can, so, you know, I feel that all the time, like how people will judge me if I really show how much I struggle uh, with all things. But, you know, I'm happy that you push me because I also see the response and I can feel if I, by, by me sharing and being vulnerable and open, if I can help you know, one more person to relate because I think a lot of us actually feel the same way. Even people who are successful, there's something about like we all have those struggles with imposter syndrome or like perfectionism and everything. And I just by sharing, I think people feel a little bit less alone. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome back to our conversation. When I get to know someone, I often notice the difference between the private self and the public self. And people are, for whatever reason, they tend to open up to me in private and then they go off on stage and they say things. I'm like, who is that person? And I I don't want to reveal names, uh, but I can tell you about personality types, right? So I have a friend, he's an entrepreneur and he's, He's an experienced person. He's been involved in a lot of successful companies. In, in private, this is who he is. He's divorced. He struggles with getting his stuff together. He has financial challenges. Uh, he's not the most organized or disciplined person. And as soon as the lights, so to speak, come on and he's got the microphone in his hand, he talks about his success, about his, how he was employee number X from whatever big company. All of that vulnerability, that realness goes away. And I would pull this person aside. I would say things to him like, you know, you're, you're much more endearing when you are just vulnerable and real. And he would nod. And I, was like, I said, why do you pretend to have all your stuff together in public? And I don't have an answer from him. So I'm like, I don't understand it. And in that way, Annalie, I look at you and several of my other friends. And so when I say friends, I really do mean that I'm not literally just talking about one person where they're vulnerable, they're funny, uh, they make fart jokes, uh, they say inappropriate things. And they're sometimes filled with jealousy or they'll say, I'm being irrational and stupid right now. But every time they, they jump on the stage, and I'm using the word stage very loosely here, when they're around other humans, something happens to them. It's like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And I know people for who they are, so I just try and give a lot of grace and I'm not trying to push anyone to reveal themselves sooner than they are comfortable doing that. But I find that there's this weird dichotomy. This paradox exists. Your desire to be liked and to be well-received forces you to change who you are so you're less liked and poorly received. Because here's the thing that I think. I don't think I'm like Sherlock Holmes. I don't think I'm the world's smartest anything. And if I can see the real you versus the fake you, the public you, I think other people can see it too. 
And if they can see it, they're picking up on subtle shifts in language, in tonality, the phrasing or the awkward pauses. And they feel that. And I think it's like we're watching a movie when the the main character isn't doing what they're supposed to be doing, right? Like uh, a couple gets into a fight and we know the guy's pickheaded and he's stubborn. And we say, like, just apologize. Just admit that you're wrong. And instead, he turns his back and he's about to say words and there's this window of opportunity and his lover looks at him and she leaves. And we're sitting there, like, just jumping out of our seat. Just tell her you're wrong. Tell her you love her. Tell her you'll change. And he doesn't. And they they are now not seen or heard from each other. And it's just a tragedy. And I think this is what's happening in real life in a nonfiction way. When you're on stage and you're talking about something, we feel it. We can see it. Just let it go. And so the the the, the words you just use, it's like, I don't want to talk about the things that are less charming about me. And creating that barrier is also the barrier to allowing people to enter you, your story, and to really connect with you in deep and meaningful ways. So here's the thing. I would rather have fewer people be connected to me. Forget about liking me for myself than for more people who feel connected to me for not being myself. It's a dangerous trap to build. And we see this a lot, actually, uh, especially because of all the social platforms. People change their appearance. They use visual filters. They only point the camera at the nice parts of their lives. Only when things are going well. And then when you meet them in person, the hair is a little different. Their skin is not as clear. And they're now super self-conscious because they know this public persona that they've been presenting to the world isn't real. I'm always shocked sometimes when people that I know and see on YouTube, when I hear them speak in public, they are not put together at all. What have they done? They've done crazy amounts of editing, stringing together fragments of sentences to make themselves sound cohesive. And they're just terrible. So it's like we're kind of curating and and photoshopping ourselves to death that now we can't even be comfortable with who we are. And so I think it's dangerous to create a persona for people to fall in love with that's not you. you you'll just have to pretend for the rest of your life. And I, I think that's just a, such a draining thing. So what I encourage all of you to do is let down your guard. Stop trying to be perfect. Perfect does not exist. It's a fantasy. Perfect is boring. Perfect is uninteresting and unrelatable. I don't connect to perfection. I'm going to go back to that Pixar rule. The audience admires characters for trying more than for their success. Back over to you, Annalie. You know, I do think that for me right now, I'm starting to really opening up and to share things and to share things in posts. My, I have a lot of things to work on still, but it's... No, I still, I try, I really try to do it. And when I see the result of it, it's so interesting. When I'm super, super personal and I share stories, those uh, posts and also posts when I, even if I talk about brand strategy, but I kind of tell a story, I try to tell a story, even if it's not super good. That is the post that's been absolutely like most engagement. I don't talk so much about 
the likes, but you know, the likes and the saves and the engagement kind of everything follows each other. But I can see that people care and people comment and, you know, they connect. So it's kind of clear. We have the evidence that this is the way it is. It's just that it's, it's difficult. And I think you always seem to have a really good self-confidence and I can just feel like some days it feels so natural to do this, to tell those stories and to, to share mistakes instead of wins. Um, but other days it's just so difficult because you know, that imposter syndrome shows up and you hear other people and you see other people and I just feel like, you know, coming back to that, like, is my English good enough? Can people understand me? You know, I haven't been teaching for so long, even if I have a lot of experience. I'm so new in teaching. You know, I don't have an academic background. So much imposter that can show up. And that starts to, you know, messes with you. And then you start to write a post about that you want to prove yourself again. You know, and you can really tell me that I do that sometimes. And I'm happy that you do it and you call me out because... Then I need to adjust a little bit and be more honest again. But I think for me, it's a constant struggle. And I think it comes back to that I feel like I have to prove myself. And I want to be open and talk about it because I don't think I'm alone. And I I don't feel like I need to prove anything. It's just that, you know, that's the way it is. And I struggle with it every day. But the only way I can get better is to talk about it and being honest and tell people that, yeah, sometimes I'm like super insecure and, you know, I'm jealous sometimes and I look at other people and I think they're awesome and (laughs) I can't live up to that. But it's just being human and uh, that's what I try to share. So I I want to learn how to, to write stories that it's not just about that, but also connected to what I can actually do and share. So the connection between kind of teaching, but also do it in by telling a story. I think that is my next big challenge. Okay. There's something that you've reminded me about in talking about that. And it's this idea of that the opinions of other people matter. I'm going to say this and I just jotted this down. I hope it comes across right. Self-acceptance is the most beautiful makeup you can wear. I'll say that one more time. Self-acceptance is the most beautiful makeup you can wear. Somewhere along my life, I've learned to accept myself for the things that I think I'm great at and also to love the parts that I think, yeah, that's me and I can't really change that. Sometimes um, I, I can be impulsive and sometimes I can have an addictive personality type. And sometimes it can be really hard hard on myself and hard on others in the way that I speak very directly. And rather than try to change that and to apologize for that, I'm just going to say that's my brand. I'm not really that interested in changing myself to please a couple of people. And if 50% of the audience doesn't like me because I'm speaking my truth and who I am and I'm saying it as, as the way that I want to say it, fine. Someone else out there is the right person for you. It's not me. But I'm not going to spend my time trying to become someone for you. And I've spent probably three and a half, four years of my life trying to be someone that I, I, I wasn't. People get to know me like as 
and they've nicknamed me in, in some circles as a charming razor blade. And I know exactly what that means. And when I told my wife, like, look at the names that they're giving me. And she laughs so hard. She goes, the internet's so smart. They're so clever. They know you so well, don't they? And they do. And I will say direct things. Like our friend the other night, as we we're talking uh, between Mo and I, as we're coaching him live on Twitter spaces, our friend Lola is like, Chris, you are an absolute savage. Okay, I'll add that to my description of titles. I'm okay with that. So I don't hold back on writing something because I'm afraid of people's opinions. I hold back because I keep asking myself, is this really interesting to anybody? Am I contributing in any meaningful way? Or am, am I just being like self-centered and just talking about myself for no purpose? And so this calls into this big idea, which is what is your intention of sharing something? Is it to prop yourself up, to make you look good, like you're more charitable, you're more honorable, you're more giving than you are? Then if that's your agenda, just do yourself and everyone a favor and don't even create that piece of content. But if you're writing something because it touches your heart, your soul, and you, you have to express yourself this way, do that. Don't worry so much about the agenda. So I'm going to say the first step in telling your story is forget about the lesson, forget about the whole point of it all. Just practice the art of being yourself. And I think we have to just let go of this thing about what people's opinions do to us. When you said, well, you're famous, I don't look at it like that. I'm still the same guy who's trying to awkwardly move my way through the world and not get picked on. I'm still that person. I've developed certain skills and I've learned to love myself. Uh, I jokingly refer to this as I'm a self-aware caterpillar, you know, like I'm kind of ugly now, but I know my potential and I'm okay with that. And if you don't see that potential, I'm good with that because I'm not trying to be all things to all people. So Annalie, if you could just embrace this idea, like who gives an F? Who gives an F? Like I'm not trying to, to be liked. I'm not trying to get you to think that I'm a professional fill in the blank. I'm not trying to show you I've got all my stuff together. I'm just a human being and I'm working through this and I'm navigating this world the best way that I can given my circumstances. And you might not win everybody, but you'll make some really solid connections and I think that's all that really matters. Back over to you. Yeah, you know what? I I wish I feel the same way, but I... But I do feel for every day, it gets a little bit easier, actually. And I think it's a journey because, you know, first of all, it's been a struggle with the language. It feels a lot better right now. I don't have to write down things. I can actually, you know, just speak. But I can so feel people that are not have English as their first native language. It is a little bit more difficult, you know, so that's been a real struggle. But when when I don't think about that, I think... It's also more about, you know, I love that you said that check in with what's your intention, why you want to do something, why you want to post. Because sometimes I think we make it a little bit more difficult or I make it a little bit more difficult than it has to be. Uh, I put a lot of pressure on myself that all posts needs to be so interesting and I need to teach, you know, I want to teach people something really relevant. And those stories about me or my founder story, you know, where I come from doesn't seem so relevant, but you know, you're really on the, I think it's just getting out there, start 
start doing it, start posting and see what happens. And I share a lot of things right now. I mean, I tell people how messy I am, how, you know, my ADHD, how difficult it is with some things to just kind of be me in my everyday life. And I don't feel shame about that. I think it's more about, you know, do it often and then also kind of find a structure. And maybe we could go over, talk a little bit more about like the how to do it, because I think now we talked a lot about the mindset and when, okay, so when you're over that, maybe we'll never get over it, but at least ready to start posting more often. It feels like I, you know, I need a little bit more of a framework, how to do it. So I mean, how, for example, like, how do you decide about what stories to share, first of all, and for what different platforms? Is it okay if we go over and talk a little bit more about the how? Um, a couple of different things about stories. Uh, you need to tell a personal story that is filled with conflict. This is what makes stories interesting. Robert McKee, the story expert, says no conflict, no story. You have to have conflict. And great storytellers, whether you're doing it on an audio platform or you're doing it in written form or any other form, it's about creating tension and releasing tension. We need to know what happens next. And so if there's no tension, there's no struggle, and we already know how it turns out, we're not really um, compelled to keep reading or listening or watching. So you need to tell a personal story. So the personal part is something you've seen, something you've witnessed. We see a lot on social media, people sharing other people's stories. That's totally okay. We see people reading books and then parroting what they read in the books. That's okay as well. I do that. But if you want to achieve the next level of success when it comes to storytelling and you want to build your personal brand and you want people to connect with you and not just the things you say, it has to be a personal story, something you've witnessed yourself. It needs to have sensory detail to describe the world so we, we, we lose ourselves and f we forget that we're sitting in a chair or laying in a bed. We're immersed in your world. It needs to be rich in dialogue. This is probably the number one failure and the thing that I want to work on myself more. You notice that when I tell you Petrula's story, there's two characters and you hear the words, you create the visual in your mind. So when you're telling a story, don't forget the dialogue part. And if you want to, as a performer, and storytelling is performance too, is you can change your voice, you can change the pitch, you can even change the words you use so we understand that's character A and that's character B. You can adopt different accents if you're that talented. And you are the hero in your story, but you shouldn't be the hero who has all the answers. You need to be the reluctant hero, the immature hero, the hero with lots of character flaws and conflict. Because remember, people admire characters more for trying than for their success. If your story can elicit an emotional response from the audience, you're doing something really good. So I've made it a point when I do public speaking, when appropriate, I want the audience to cry. You know, in a former life, I was a very emotional person, but uh, I've somehow moved towards the Vulcan way. And so I'm much more logical and rational but I know how to tell stories to get people to tear up. They're usually stories around my kids, around the struggles, because people so identify and connect with that pain. And if there's a sweet or bittersweet ending to it, even better. 
And I have some examples I can share with people. And I've been writing down lots and lots of notes from a bunch of different sources. And I'll go over some of them right now. Um, you, you all need to create a story journal. And whether it's analog or digital, that's up to you. And the story journal should be a collection of your memories. And the more that you try to remember and write, the more memories will be unlocked and you'll shock yourself as to what you can remember. So if you quickly tap into the, the, the emotional stories, and we're lucky because it tends to be that we only remember stories that are emotional. Uh, I was listening to Eric and Meet's talk on this, on how to master public speaking. He says that basically, if you feel something, that's the beginning of your story. And that when you have an uneventful day where there are not a lot of emotions, you probably don't remember it. It, it goes by in a blur. He also argues that if you have too much emotion, it, it can be considered PTSD. Like when you have too many strong emotions, you witness a really bad car accident or you are witnessing some kind of violence. That shocks our system. And those are memories we cannot forget. So emotions are a good place to begin. So you don't want to shut yourself off to those. Uh, so I'll share some of the things I got from watching a couple of his lectures on this, right? I consider him a master storyteller. He says, start off with the title. The title is a great place because it sums up the whole story. And he, he shares the story about how he flew to Fiji to give a talk with Tony Robbins. And it was supposed to be introduced by um, a Chinese person. And so it was translated into Chinese. And then Tony Robbins decides to do the introduction himself. So it's translated back from Chinese into English. And there was something that was lost in translation. That turns out to be the title for his story journal, Lost in Translation. And then he says, write out the bullet points. Don't write out the story. Just the bullet points date, time, place, any kind of key details. And those are important because they help to ground the story. So specific details, just bullet point them out. And then figure out what is the shortest, most economical way you can tell the story and how long it would take you to tell it. And then figure out what the longest version of the story is with multiple lessons where you illustrate things and you, you act out more parts. And then you want to write that down. And the last thing is to include tags. Tags are like keywords, meta tags, something like that. And they're just one word things that attach to the story. So we have the title. We know how long it's going to take us, the shortest amount in which we can tell the story. We, we now have jotted down the bullet points. So it was third grade. The, my, my teacher was Mr. Tuttle. You know, you have all those details. Uh, Becky sat next to me. You remember the sweater. You just write those things down. The tags are, this is a good opener. This is a good closer. This is a redemption story. This is a uh, stranger in town story, whatever it is. So, so you can do that. And as you build up your story journal and when you're on stage, when you're in a live Q&A session, you'll be able to recall them like that because you can just remember the tags. So that's a little bit of the structure. So I highly encourage you to start developing your story journal. There's a couple of things that you can do to to get started, some prompts. This is from Kendra Hall in her book, Stories That Stick. Um, she talks about nouns. People, place, things. So start with people. And like I said before, you only remember the people who have touched your lives, who have had an emotional thing, positive or negative. And so the first thing you do is just write down all their names. I also like to start with teachers because within teachers is a natural lesson. 
makes the story easier to find. Um, your best friend. You can write about your parent. And some some uh, the prompts I give is, in what way are you like your mom? In what way are you different? And then you replace that with dad. In what way are you like your father? In what way are you different? You can think about your birth order. Are you the middle child like I am? Are you the oldest? Are you the only child? And what does that say about you? And do you fit into the stereotypes of people that are only children? Why and why not? So that's the people, right? Then there are the places, the places you've lived. Start there. So literally the homes in which you've lived, write down the address, write down how long you lived there, bullet point the house, like it was a single story, this kind of house, and you lived on the corner of X, Y, and Z. And then it'll start to unlock all these memories about the house. So that's that's place, but you can also write about the places you've traveled to. Just travel there in your mind now. Start writing about that. Just make a list for now. And then you can talk about things. So people, place, things, and things. If you look around the house and you imagine that um, there's a fire, and some of you don't have to imagine because we're having a lot of fires these days, what would you grab? What would you save and why? So naturally, you're going to probably gonna grab things like your passport, your, your birth certificates, social security card, any kind of bank information. Those don't have any emotional memory, right? They're utilitarian. But the next thing that you grab will tell you a lot about what you value. Most likely, it's going to be pictures, irreplaceable things, because those pictures are memories for you. But it could be some irrational, emotional, sentimental connection to an old teddy bear and the time that you had pneumonia and that uh, you were too old to wear pajamas to go to the hospital, but you did it because you felt like you wanted to be a baby to be taken care of. True story, by the way. There might be a favorite pillow or a blankie. Start making a list of those things. And then you can visit the garage in your mind and say, like, what objects here have meaning to me and what stories do they tell? So the reason why we collect so many things is because we attach a memory to them. And so then we can unlock that memory. And now you start to feel like, oh my God, I have so many stories yet to tell. Now, don't take it for granted that you'll remember it. Write it down. The act of writing it will solidify it in in your ability to recall it on a moment's notice will be much, much easier. Those things help. Last, I want to share with you story structure. It's really, really easy. I'll give you the simplest form so it's easy to remember. So typically, story structure needs conflict and resolution, right? So Kendra Hall, back to Kendra Hall, start with the, with the, the normal. Like, how, how does life look like right now? And then something comes to interrupt it. She refers to it as the explosion. Something changed. And then there's a new normal. So the normal, there's an explosion, and there's a new normal. Now, what happens is we don't have such an easy time finding the explosion. But if you start with the explosion, you'll figure out the normal and the new normal. And the explosion usually looks something like this. It's usually in um, the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell. There's a, there's a hero that lives in the normal, ordinary world. And usually there's a herald who comes into the world to change things up. And the herald has a call to action, a call to adventure. 
And almost always, when you look at every single movie and story that, that performs well, the hero is reluctant to go on the adventure. There's resistance. And so that's the clue. If you look for the call to adventure in your life, we're going to move to another town. Uh, you should go to this dance. You should do public speaking. Um, you should try to climb this mountain or whatever it is. You, you try this, this new kind of food. There's resistance. And then there's you ultimately getting helped by someone. Usually the mentor appears and helps you to cross the threshold, leaving the ordinary world to the new world. So look for them. Look for the mentor. Look for the call to action. Remember, there was a call to action. You didn't want to do this. There's all kinds of resistance. You fought with that person. You fought with that idea. You were convinced this was never going to work. And someone somehow, somewhere says something to you that is the lever for you to say, okay, all right, I'll do this thing. And once doing this thing, it changes your perception. It might even change your life. Thanks for everybody. I'm going to run. Thanks. Talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Take care. Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash heychris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.